0: of Moses the man of God and our main focus is verse 12 teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom the very first thing I want you to notice in verse 12 is the word teach that word teach means to impart that teaching is an alien impartation you cannot come up with it on your own it's impossible it's like justification or faith it is an alien impartation. It's extra nos. wet that's the way the Hebrew uh, word is there because it's not teach. It's impart to us, it is the Greek. There is the Hebrew. It us to number our days. The word number is a determined amount. It is a determined amount. Job says you cannot go past this number on that your days are numbered. This is a determined amount in the foreknowledge of God, in the full wisdom of God. So this prayer that Moses is praying here in Psalm 90 is a prayer for an external working of God internally in our lives on something that He has already settled that by Him teaching us we may have hearts of wisdom. Okay, And so this verse is often treated as a proverb, and, uh, and the proverb would sound like this, life is short, so live wisely. That would sound like a proverb, but a proverb is a short saying expressing a universal truth. If you want to write that down, that's a very good definition for you. A short saying in expressing a universal truth. But as it regards to scripture, it's a proverb for practical godly living. For example, Proverbs 24:23 says, "The sayings of the wise are the proverbs," or it says in Proverbs 1:6 that "the sayings and riddles of the wise are the proverbs." And so it's a short saying, a short saying expressing a universal truth in regards to practical godly living, but this is not a proverb. This is much more than that because in the context of the whole psalm, it means much more than a proverb. As we will see, it is a key part of the meditation. I want you to write that down. It is a key part of a meditation on God and living as the people of God. Now, regarding this concept of meditation before I exposit the text, meditation on the scripture is not emptying your mind. That is not what meditation is when it talks about that in the Bible. It is not losing oneself in the mystical or losing oneself's identity in the consciousness of God. That is not biblical meditation. That is not the way the Hebrews would do it. There was a specific reason that they meditated, and it's one reason specific. They meditated so they did not forget God's Word. Now, I'd never heard of that until I heard of it this afternoon, writing this out. That's what meditation is. You meditate on the Word of God so that you don't forget it. Okay? Pretty interesting. So how do we meditate on the Word of God not to forget it? We have to read it, and we have to contemplate it. For some of us, contemplation is easier than making a pie crust. Uh, contemplation is easier than, you know, uh, doing a complex math problem. Uh, not everybody can be a contemplative person. But the reality of it is, it's a learned task, just as we learn reading. And so to meditate on the scripture, the reason David says he meditates upon the word is for the purpose of not forgetting what God says. And when you think about what People say today that they know of Scripture. And you go back and you look a century ago, the 1800s, and you see what people like John Owens wrote and other people, and you see these huge books on Scripture. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book that thick on John 17. We don't know anything about the Scripture like those men did. Nothing. And the only thing that separates them from us is the meditation on the Word. That's what they did. They meditated on the Word of God. You know, for example, go over here. If you looked at Psalm 119, let's just turn to it real quick. Psalm 119. Um, there's two particular places where this is mentioned by the psalmist. In verse 98, <clears throat> Psalm 119 says right here, "...your commandments make me wiser than my enemies." for they are ever mine. And so one of the reasons the psalmist talks about meditating here is because it makes us wiser than our enemies. People say, well, how are we going to handle all this stuff that's going on in the world? Well, some of the things that you see in the world, these are the enemies of God. They're your enemies. But the reality of it is keep your head in Scripture because Scripture will make you wise on how to handle the enemies, especially that wily one, you know, from the... from the that devil himself and then look at verse 101 he says here I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word and then verse 104 he says from your precepts I get understanding therefore I hate every false way so by meditating on the Word of God not forgetting it we learn to hate every false way and avoiding evil and so what does that mean he this psalm and this concept of saw of meditation is to understand and to keep and obey the Spirit of God. And how is that done by not forgetting what He says? So when you think about it, think of it in light of this. OK? We want to think of it in light of Jesus Christ. Go over here to Philippians chapter four. and then we will turn to our text properly. Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter four. And so when you think about, all right, so what is meditation? Meditation is is where I contemplate and I read the Word of God and I think upon it and think upon it and read it so that I am not forgetful of what the Lord says. By meditating, it will make me able, wiser than my enemy, and it will teach me to be motivated to hate every false way and avoiding evil and thus obeying the Lord. And so when you apply this then in the light of Jesus Christ, look at Philippians chapter 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things and the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Right? Okay, so this passage is much more than a proverb. This is a meditation, a meditation in teach us to number our days that we may get the heart of wisdom. And it is on living as the people of God. Now, who are the people of God? Well, I'm going to answer it the way you're going to answer it. You're going to say Christians. Great. What is a Christian? I'll give you this later in handwritten form. Don't try to write this down. This is not your father's Oldsmobile, what you're about to hear. What is a Christian? One who by the grace of God declares he justly deserves the wrath of God. That's a Christian, save for the mercy of Jesus Christ alone. He casts aside all hope in his self-righteousness and puts away his pride in His own goodness and ability. A Christian is glad to be regarded as spiritually bankrupt, saved by the free grace and righteousness of Christ and by the sheer mercy of God. He has been granted a grateful heart which yields to him, which yields to him alone. A grateful heart which yields to God, yeah, to God alone. Oh yeah, which ye- I can't read my writing. And a and he has been granted a grateful heart which yields to him alone as Lord and Sovereign. In a word, and specifically one word, as it says in Philippians chapter three, verse three, a, true, a Christian is one who glories in Christ Jesus and has no confidence in the flesh. So that are the people, those are the people. So this is written to us, the believer, the saved believer. So it's a key to the meditation on God and the and living as the people of God. We must meditate so that we for the purpose that we do not forget what God says. And so how this begins, in, in this verse, we're in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, the Hebrew begins this way, to number our days. So when you read it in the Hebrew text, it doesn't say, so teach us or impart to us. It says, the very first thing it says, to number our days. That's the very first word. And so the phrase picks up the theme that is over and over again in Scripture. And it's the one thing the lost and the saved all have in common. We have a limited number of days. We only have so much time. No time is created. We only have. That is the one commodity that is the level playing field for all people. is time. Because when time's up, time's up, recess is over. you got to go back to class. And so this phrase picks up on the theme of time that is so pervasive. For example, in Psalm 31:15, the psalmist says, "My times are in your hands." My times are in your hands, Psalm 31:15. In James chapter 4:13 through 15, You have the passage that talks about the guy says he's going to go do business here tomorrow and do this the next day and all that. And James says, don't say that. Say, if the Lord wills it, you'll do it. Well, why would it say that? There's no explanation of time because time is in the hand of the Lord. Our time is in the hand of the Lord. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 19, it says, make the most of every opportunity. That's a broad translation without me turning there but you need to make the most of every opportunity. So with all of this idea here of just his introductory remarks, he says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So here's the deal. Notice, a reflection on time lets us see something. One of the things that all of us would agree is we don't have enough time. Our lives may be called from us tonight. Very much so. But you're not going to stop living until you're dead, right? But we have a limited number of time. We have a limited time. And so, the, so why, what does that mean? It speaks to our own weakness, our own frailty. In Psalm 103, 14 through 18, it talks about the grass and the plants withering. It talks about us being dust and all of those things one thing that's happened you know when about the middle of july I said i don't have to cut the grass much more it doesn't matter if it rains because it's starting to thin out and those hundred-degree days are going to make up for five rainy days going to kill that grass and uh... you know it it's just the grass is going to fade the weeds are going to fade the johnson grass is gonna fade and if i keep mowing the yard in the middle of the day i'm gonna fade and so the i'm getting i'm gonna get so dark i'll disappear But a reflection on time leads us to see how weak we are and how short our lives are. So look at what he says in verse 3 of this psalm. He says in verse 3 right here, he says, You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of uh, of men. Then go to verse 5. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep in the morning. They are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Towards evening it fades and withers away. Go down to verse 10. For as the days of our life they contain 70 years or if due to strength 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow for soon it goes and flies away. The pride of our life is what we did with our life. I'm a retired this. I'm a retired that. This is what I did. That's the pride of our life. What does that all represent? Our labor. The sweat of our brow. Right? I mean, it's, it's true. And that's not a bad thing. It's just the truth. I mean, you know, nobody... We don't praise people that spent their whole life in a recliner. We don't praise those people. Um... So moreover, Psalm 90 shows its connection to the concern of Psalm 89. Look at Psalm 89 verses 47 and 48 right there in the previous page. Look what he says. He says, Remember, remember what my span of life is for what vanity you have created all the sons of men. What man can live and not see death? Can he... Deliver his soul from the power of Sheol. So this is a realism that our weakness is necessary foundation to true wisdom. Our weak, write this down. Our weakness is is the, is the necessary foundation for any true reason, wisdom. Psalm 39 verse 4 says this. It says, O Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days, let me know... How fleeting I am. How many Christians have you met that say that? Probably as many as you have met that have said, I love the Lord's law on it day and night, I think. We've learned from studying the curse that what is the law? The law is the very character of God. Absolutely you should love it. Then you get to know Him, right? Yes, amen, good. So the shortness and weakness of human life are the fruits of sin and judgment in the world. So our very weakness, our shortness and weakness are the fruits of sin and the judgment of the world. And the psalmist acknowledged that sin, what sin is frankly saying right here in verse 8 of chapter 90. Look what chapter 90, Psalm 90, look what he says in verse 8. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Okay? So, I mean, he knows it. There's nothing hidden. He knows it. You're all, we're all found out. And he knows that his, his holy God visits judgments on sinners. Look at verse 9. He says, For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. Whew. You know? And then verse 11, he says, Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is, do you? Okay, how many people do you hear today saying that we should fear God that way? We should fear God that way. That is who He is. It's okay. But you hear people say, no, 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 you can't do that. No, 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 because He's a God of grace. And that goes back to that concept of trying to rescue God from His authority and pull Him down and make Him palatable to humans. He'll never be palatable to humans because we're not God but i would be terrible it would be terrible if the psalmist left off with what we have just said because that's not what this passage is all about it is surely frightening to think that god's wrath will equal will equal all the obedience that's due him what obedience is due to god perfect obedience so his wrath will be equally perfect there will be no wrath for that which was Obedient. There will only be wrath for that which is disobedient. And so though life is short and the wrath of God is terrifying, I have a little note I wrote when I came in here after I finished the message this afternoon, and I wrote this down on the preaching of divine wrath. Why a pastor should preach to his congregation more than enough on the divine wrath of God. And here it is, and this is a beautiful illustration. The preaching of the divine wrath of God serves as the black velvet backdrop that causes the diamond of God's mercy to shine brighter than 10,000 suns. Stephen Lawson, Texas Tech Red Raider. The the preaching of divine wrath serves as a black velvet backdrop that causes the diamond of God's grace to shine brighter than 10,000 suns. That's just great. So the wrath of God must be preached because the holy character of God demands it. The wrath of God must be preached because the ministry of the prophets demanded it. The wrath of God must be preached because of the preaching of Christ demanded it. And the wrath of God must be preached because the glory of the cross demands it. And the wrath of God must be preached because the teachings of the apostles demanded. But that's not all there is. But we would do ourselves a favor to have a couple weeks on the wrath of God. And when I understand it, I'll call. I'll let you know. I'll invite you to church. We'll have it at the 2 a.m. service. Although life is short and the wrath of God is terrifying, now watch the change in the text. The mercy and protection of God for His people are great. God is at home, is the home of His people. Look at verse 1, what it says. Verse 1 says, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Through all the generations of God, His people's existence reaching all the way back to the creation. God has always preserved and protected His people. Even in the Garden of Eden, He promised that He would redeem His own in Genesis 3.15. That's when the covenant of grace began to work, which uh, starts right here. That's where it happens. There's a tree... And there is where he starts to do it, and then the covenant moves over into the science of economics. And so, you know, that's something I'll have to show you another day. Don't worry about that. That was in a private lesson the other day. See, God remains home, remains the home of his people because he is redeeming, he is a redeeming God. So I want to quote one of our own theologians here. Uh, from a, he's, a, he's a Cracker Barrel th- theologian, and he said this on the 30th of July, and he said, We believers cannot stop at, this prom- at the promises of God, for we must continue in our promise to God. Rick Huddleston. You remember saying that? Yeah. We believers cannot stop at the promises of God, for we must continue in our own promise of God. God has made us at home in Him, And we have responded that this is who we will be as He changes us as obedient. So Moses reminds us that while the life of man is frail and short, God is eternal. Notice verse 2 of the text. It says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses takes us back before God created the earth and reminds us that our God is before and beyond the time of this world. He has always been and He is sufficient in Himself without us. He doesn't need us. So if He made us, He must have wanted us, right? Moses makes this point another way. Look at verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. Now time does not have the same meaning for God that it does for us. For us, a thousand years is a time so long that we really cannot imagine the next experience. But because you all have been taught things about the word 1,000, I had to go look at the Greek, to, or the Hebrew, particularly, how this is used, and then if the Hebrew sense is used in the New Testament, particularly in Revelation. And this word for a thousand right here, is this word. It means the cardinal number, the cardinal number, and it refers to an uncountable amount. This word here. It is not the same thousand that's mentioned in 2 Peter 3.8 where it says to you a thousand years is as a day and a day is a thousand years. That is literally one thousand years. But when it's used here, it is a number that is incomprehensible. So we have a word for it, Google. That is the incomprehensible number. We say infinity, there's a thing on Facebook where someone has built a Google timer out of Legos that, that spins, and it's going to be like 500 million years before one Google will move on this man's machine. And it's only about that big. Google is an incomprehensible number. So for them, a thousand was a number that's Unbelievable. And when you look in the scripture and you see where he usually says, and he had a thousand this and 60,000 chariots and 40,000 men of war and 5,000 soldiers and this and that. Have you ever notice they all end with a zero? They're all even numbers. Okay, this is not that thousand. This is a, I'm, and I'm not doing some kind of hermeneutical gymnastics. This means incomprehensible. So when we sing, when we've been there 10,000 years, we're not going to be there just for 10,000 years. When the Bible says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he's not talking about the literal thousand. He's talking about this number, this incomparable number. And then, of course, you go to Revelation 20, verse 2, that talks about the thousand-year reign. Well, when you take the word sent, when you take the sense, then, then what you have then is a literal number the only thing that causes you pause is what kind of grammar is used. And that's apocalyptic literature. This is wisdom literature. So words are used in different senses, but that word there and all the words that speak to a thousand in Revelation that does not have to do with a number of horses or men all deal with a literal thousand. But in the context of apocalyptic literature does it mean a literal 1,000? Because how's it used? So that's another discussion. Depends on where you went to school. So here's what you want to know. Time doesn't have the same meaning for us. When he says, for a thousand years in your sight is but as yesterday, this is what it means. God, who is timeless, looks upon a thousand years as nothing. You and I look on 80 years as 86 years, 91 years, 93 years. That's a long time. But a thousand, this is incomprehensible, for God is no different from a very short period of time as He is a long time. He is still God, and He is eternal, and He is above all that He has created. We've learned a couple weeks ago, don't use the word He controls it. It's more than that. He is sovereign over it. It's His. Right? Amen? So as I move towards the end, this is the eternal God who directs the course of history for His infinite power what's happening in Afghanistan, what's happening at the White House, what's happening at the courthouse, what's happening at the hospital and the funeral home and everywhere in between. He is all using his infinite power. Moses, who had seen the power of God often displayed in the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, continues to pray that the majesty of God's work would remain before the eyes of the people and this should be our prayer. That the majesty of God, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children in verse sixteen. Oh God, do it. Do it again. And as God brought suffering by his as God had brought suffering by his power, so Moses prays that God will bring blessing. And he says in verse 15, he says right here, he says, Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years that we have seen evil, so repay evil with kindness, God. Right? So here's the application, and I'm finished. Rick, you can go and give me two minutes. If our need is to number our days by contrasting their shortness with the eternal nature of God, then our prayer to God surely then must be, Lord, teach us to number our days because we have a very Short time compared to Google, compared to all of that. Because we will never learn that lesson in our own strength. We are dust. We cannot learn it. That word teaching means impart, extra nos. It comes from outside. We are not only ignorant if left to ourselves, but we suppress the truth in righteousness, the truth of righteousness in unrighteousness. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness as he says in Romans one eighteen. And so we convince ourselves that we have a long time to live. And we may even do that because we're healthy. Somebody asked, why did Jack LaLanne die? You know, the juice man? Well, he died. And they said, well, why did he die? He died of nothing. He was healthy. You can be as healthy as you want, but when your day's up, your day's over. And God teaches to number our days. As long as we're healthy, we really believe that we're going to live forever in this body. We're not. We need a teacher, and the only teacher who can rescue us from ourselves is God. See, God just doesn't save us from the curse and He doesn't just save us from our sin. He saves us from ourselves. So this alien impartation of teaching is of our time, God teaches us is to ask for this. It's like receiving faith and justification and righteousness and it all comes from where? The Word. Reading the Word. So in conclusion, remember God. God sta- you might want to write this down. God stands among us. God comes to us, God embraces us, God reassures us, and God encourages us. Lord, teach us to number our days. One of the great things Moses saw is when God came to Mount Sinai and it said that mountain shook. But when the infinite God-man went to Calvary and on that, that mountain just didn't shake, the whole earth trembled when he went to that and why because he loves us he wants us to know he loves us the gospel teaches us that he is always with us and his arms are always around us so God teach us to number our days and live each one as if it were our last amen Amen. and thus ends the lesson father we thank you for the word of God it's teaching and it's truth to us Now, Lord, as we turn our hearts to praying, we ask, Father, for you hear us in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen.